think or imagine, that at Him working within us, that His glory would be made known, that the name of Jesus would be proclaimed, and that generations forever and ever would worship Him. Morning, how are we? Good. My name is Ryan Stone, and we have not met yet. I am one of the pastors here on staff and uh, very, very excited at what we're going to get to do today. Um, last week got a little, little bit thick in here, okay? The Holy Spirit, I was doing a little something. We talked about suffering. And so this week I thought we would just play Pictionary and kind of lighten the mood up. And uh, here's what happened last week. We finished Acts chapter 14. And uh, my boss, Pastor Joby, who will be back next weekend, said, Ryan, uh, whatever you do, don't start Acts chapter 15 um, so since he's out of town for a week and a half in mission trip land in Jamaica, um, I get a week to do whatever we want to do. So Pictionary, it is. This is going to be fun. Um, just kidding. Uh, we are starting Acts 15 next week. Pastor Joby will be back from the mission field. Pastor Ben will be back from the mission field. You don't want to miss next weekend. Um, there's some verses in Acts chapter 15 that's going to stir um, our church into uh, some bigger things, stir us into uh, maybe making more room for kids that we're already running out of space for, um, restoring um, this building and restoring our city. And so we're going to kick off some vision stuff next week. Uh, I'm just going to give you a hint. There's 20,000 square feet in the back. That's not, there's just looks like the Terminator movie. That might be part of what we're talking about, and that's all I'm going to say. Um, if not, Pastor Joby will get on to me for stealing his sermon. So I'm just going to leave it there. All right, so this week, we're just going to pause for a second, and I just want to look at what is God doing? What has God been doing amongst us, and how do we respond? When we filmed that video um, last, like, June, July, uh, we were just a bunch of, uh, we, some of us were on staff, and some of us, uh, some of our staff were, were working and finishing school, and and some of you were going to beach with us, and some of you were unchurched a year ago, and you had no clue what God was about to do in your life. And we just sat in front of the camera, and you could tell it was only a month or two before we launched, because everybody, we had to wake up a couple times uh, to finish the video, because we were so worn out. And that camera's like right here, and you're like, wake up, Jesus, I don't remember Jesus, I don't remember what I was saying. But you could tell we were so worn out and excited of what God was doing. And now we're here, we're eight months in. And those verses in Ephesians has just been my prayer for us the whole time, that whatever we hoped God would do, that he would just do more. And so let me read those verses to us one more time. Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, let him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever. And ever, and that's been our prayer here, is that God would, through this church, would receive the glory that he, he, he earned, that he, um, he should receive that glory, and that he deserves that glory, and that God would just use us as a people and work through us to give him glory, and that he would do more than we ask, he'd do more than we could imagine, he would even do more than we could even hope for. And so um, this past week at our staff meeting, that's what we did. We just sat around at our all. We have a staff meeting every Tuesday. And I just asked this question, what were you hoping for last May and what is God doing this May? So May 2012, um, we had zero serve staff. All right. Our church doesn't have volunteers. You can volunteer at P P uh, PTSA. 
you know, whatever the PTA, there's an S in there somewhere now. I don't know where it came from because I've never seen any students add it. It's like PTA and then, oh, you got to come along too, kid. Come on. So PTA, you can volunteer at those things. You can volunteer at Little League and, and whatever. But here, um, we have been charged with a mission that's greater than volunteers. And so we don't have volunteers. We have a group of what we call serve staff that help this place execute and function, that help us be a light into our community. Last May, we had zero, right? We were praying, God, would you give us 200? And to today, there's been over 700 people come through our, our onboarding for serve staff, right? Um, I got a bunch of these, so this, let's pretend like it's graduation and hold your applause in the end, and we'll get real crazy, okay? Uh, New Gen was praying, God, give us 50 kids, give us some leaders. We were at Beach UMC, and they were just praying, God, don't give us any stairs that we have to walk preschoolers up. That was their prayer last May. No stairs. And now we have uh, all of our new gen from six weeks old to 18-year-olds, some of them right here in the student section. We have over 500 kids, over 300 leaders, and they don't have stairs, but we're out of room. Hint, hint, next week. Um, Carly Arkell, who is Pastor Joby's admin. We have admin, ministry coordinators. They're the ones who get all all the details done um, so that our church will work. There was one of them last May, and Carly's prayer was, God, would you just send somebody else to help me keep up with the insanity around here? And now we have nine ministry coordinators on staff who are fueling the vision of the ministry. Uh, Last year in May, we were praying, God, if you would, 1,500 people. Like, if that could be our body of people. We started building budgets. We started building staffing strategies. We started building all of our, all the groundwork for 1,500 people, and there was over 5,500 at Easter, right? Since we've opened the door, there's been 107,000 people who've come in and, and worshiped with us on the weekend. And we thought 1,500, that's what we were hoping for. We averaged about 3,600 a weekend, and God goes, more than you could hope for, more than you could hope for. All right, we, uh, last year, this time, we were going through building our ministry strategies, and we had no care ministry strategy. I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. Last May, we had no clue how to marry people, bury people, how to go to the hospital. We were just like, uh, Joby and I were like, well, we've got some notes to a wedding. We could just do that. I said, you can't go to the, we can't go to the hospital and go, dearly beloved, we gather here today. This is gonna, not going to work. And, and now today, not only has God given us a strategy, but he's given us the right people. We have a chaplain named Chris Garrard who does all of our welcome and announcements. We have uh, our first class of deacons were commissioned. We have elders. We have care leaders. Every disciple group has a care leader, and God is fueling our ability to take care of our people. Uh, we are praying, God, bring them in from the highways and the byways, and they, people are literally coming in from everywhere. Every weekend, there are just some godly people who come down from God's favorite state, all right? It's red and black, and it's just north of here, and they come down I-95 from the state of Georgia. There's people that come up from Daytona. There's even people who come from what we call the byways, Gainesville, Florida. There's some people who literally every weekend come in to do church with us, and I don't know why, because you know at some point, if you're a Gator fan, Pastor Joby and I are going to abuse you, right? So we were praying, God, would you send people from everywhere? Uh, We were praying, God, would you just give us a room for special needs that we could just put special needs kids in and give them a safe space that we could just give their parents an opportunity to go to worship? That's good, right? God said, no, that's not big enough. God said, okay, a safe place, yeah, we'll do that. But God sent us a, a special needs leader, teacher, who rewrites the curriculum and every weekend teaches the gospel to our special needs class at 1122, right? 
Last year, this time, we had not taken up a single offering, right? We had not, as the Church of 1122, received any offering, and God has blessed us. We just, God, would you just give us the ability to, to pay our staff so that our staff doesn't have to go and deliver pizzas? And would you, God, just give us the ability to pay the electricity bill? Because you think it's dark in here with the lights low. What if they were out, right? So we were just praying, God, would you just let us operate? And God said, no, that's not big enough. So he blew us, blew us out of, we are giving money away to church plants all over the world because of generosity of you. You're not only planting a church here, you're planting a church downtown, you're planting a church in uh, St. John's County, you're planting a church in New Jersey, we are planting a church in Jamaica, we are planting a church in Brazil. God's doing that. That's more than we could hope for. That's awesome. Now you can clap for yourself on that one, and then I'll keep going. Okay. You're like, I don't know, two weeks ago we were talking about rock stars and pride. I'm not going to clap for myself. I'll get smitten right here. You're all right, come on. All right, um, a couple, like last May, a year ago, we had a like four or five hour brainstorm strategy development on this. How do you print a bulletin? All right, we're a church. We're probably going to have some of those. And we were like, okay, we, we want three-sided. We need to, you've got to have the announcements somewhere. If you don't tell the announcements, people don't know what to do. we got to have the, where do you put the announcements? Well, you can't put the announcements in the middle because we need sermons. We teach for like an hour and a half. We need two pages of notes. How do we, whoa, we could do a tear-off card. I mean, for five hours, it was, holy moly, what are we going to do? And now, not only do we have a bulletin, but we have a website that over 31,000 people since we started our church has, has been to to download sermons to get involved in groups to sign up for baptism classes we thought last year if we last year we said if we had 40 disciple groups everybody could be in a disciple group with like six people in there we thought man this would be awesome if we could just six people in a group it would be glorious right we have over 50 and god says hey i'm going to start raising up new leaders you 40 disciple groups aren't enough. You weren't thinking big enough. You weren't hoping big enough. And so God said, I'm going to give you enough people, and I'm going to give you leaders, and you're at over 50, and we're going to 150. And God says, I'm not done. And this is my favorite. I saved it for last. We were praying last year, God, would you just save one more? Like, could you just use our ministry to save one more person? And to the day, we know of 562 people who've surrendered their life to Jesus. So I think it would be a little bit of an understatement to go, I think God's at work. I know he is. We've seen it. God is moving. He's active more than we can hope, more than we can imagine. And so today I just want to ask this question. What do we do with all that God's doing? Not, not what do we do as a church staff. What do we do as a body of believers? What does the church do in the midst of God moving in such a mighty and powerful way? Well, I think we just go to what Jesus told his disciples. Right after the resurrection, on Jesus' way to, he's about to ascend into heaven. There's this moment where he meets his disciples, and he's going to kind of give them the, the last marching instructions. Matthew 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, here's what happened. Jesus gets them all up there. He comes and he goes, look, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus, he, he kind of gets all their attention, goes, hey, guys, I'm about to tell you something. But the preamble to what I'm going to tell you to do is that all the authority in heaven and earth is going to tell you to do the following. Right? When that kind of authority is leveraged from Jesus, we got to go, oh, well, we're going to do that. 
right? So God's moving mightily in our presence. So we're just going to do what verse 19 says, what Jesus says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Here's what Jesus tells him. He goes, hey, hey, disciples, lean in. That's the most important thing you can ever do. Here's what I want you to do. First, I want you to go and make disciples. That word go literally means as you're on your way. Not like go to a destination and then make a disciple. But, but the verbiage there is as you go, as you live, as you breathe, as you go to work, as you lead your family, as you go to school, as you go to the, whatever you guys are going to do this summer in the student section, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, make disciples. Well, what does it mean to make disciples? It means this, wherever you are, help other people see and know Jesus. What does it mean to look like Jesus? What does it mean to run after Jesus? What does it mean to love Jesus? What does it mean to pursue Jesus? So literally, Jesus says, the first thing you're going to do is this. Go, and as you live life, run after me and help other people love me. That's the number one thing we're going to do as a church with all of this. We're not going to go look at us, aren't we awesome? We're just going to keep going and going, hey, we love Jesus, and you should too. And we love Jesus, and you should too. And here's what it means to love Jesus. The second thing he tells him to do is go and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is this. It's a public proclamation of an inward decision. Baptism does not save. It is not necessary for salvation, but it is a step of obedience where we declare Jesus is my Savior. He's my Lord. It's a public proclamation, but it's also a corporate celebration. So the individual proclaims Jesus as their Savior, and the body celebrates it. This is why next weekend, June 2nd, if immediately following this service, it's beach day at Hannah Park. And we're going to Hannah Park. You need to bring some fried chicken. I'll come by. I'll grab a drumstick. I'll just gnaw on that thing. I'm probably out in the water while we're doing baptism. Just gnaw on it. But, all right? So you're just going to show up, and you're going to leave immediately and go over to Hannah Park on June 2nd, and we're going to baptize 300 people, and we're just going to baptize, and they're going to proclaim individually, we love Jesus, and then when they come up out of the water, the whole church body's going to be like, woo, Hercules, Hercules, all right? We're going to celebrate it, right? Now here, I just want to tell you this, um, you need to carpool, okay? There's a lot of you here, and there's not that many parking spots, so it might be a good chance to meet a friend, okay? And, uh, you know, maybe your families will be friends forever, or maybe this might be the opportunity, you know, where I just remember that one time where we carpooled over and we, our eyes met and it was magic and we fell in love and got married, all right? And number one. Number two, um, Chris has been lying to you. It's not $1.50 to get in. It's $3, all right? Taxes, I don't know. Blame the government. All right, and then, uh, and then you just need to hear this from me. Modest is, is hottest. And if you don't know what that means, afterwards we'll have a little counseling in the Connect Center um, from, from, some of, from some of the ladies, because I just, it's awkward if I start talking about that right now. It has nothing to do with what we're doing. I'm just telling you, modest is hottest. All right, so he baptized. So we're going to celebrate that together. And then the third thing here is teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So we're, that's what we're going to do. That's what, God's moving mightily. So what, we're going to go and make disciples. We're going to publicly proclaim his name. We're going to corporately celebrate his name. And we are going to continue to just teach the gospel. And so I'm just going to say this. This is maybe a little bit of a disclaimer of where I'm going to do the rest of the morning. Discipleship is a command. It's not a program. 
Okay? I, I say that for a couple of reasons. One, I'm going to talk some about our context here of disciple groups. And I don't want you to be fooled by I'm going to get in a disciple group and then I will be a disciple. No, a disciple is someone who intentionally runs after Jesus and makes him known. Um, you can go stand in a garage for an hour and never become a car. You can go sit in a group and never become a disciple. So what I'm telling you is listen up to what the, the, the irreducible minimums are this morning and see if you're applying that. The other reason I want to say that discipleship is a command and not a program is this. You might just be visiting this weekend. You might just be, hey, I'm just here for Memorial Day weekend. And they say get in the car. I thought we were going to beach. That's why I'm kind of dressed a little weird. It's all right. We're moving for all people. Um, you know, just please keep your sandals on. All right, you may just showed up here talking you were going to the beach. And so I want to teach you some stuff and, and kind of lay out some stuff for you. Um, and it may be that you never join a disciple group here, but you need to know this, that the command to be a disciple doesn't change no matter where you live and what you do. My goal this morning is to do two things. Um, number one, if you are a believer, if you're a part of our church, and you're not in a group, I want to encourage you on why you should join a group. And I want to encourage you to do that. If you are in a group, I want to inspire you and encourage you to invest into that group. And I'll just say this. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, you're just, you're just kind of here and you're checking it out, man, we love you. We're a movement for all people of all different beliefs, right? We just love you and we're glad you're here. And I just want a second, just want to pull the curtain back and go, Hey, here's, here's what family looks like here, right? So that being said, let's get into it. All right, that was the longest introduction in the history of introductions. That's pretty good, right? Okay, good. All right. You don't have to clap. Now it's getting awkward. All right, here we go. Living out three-dimensional relationships. The first thing we're going to be about as the Church 1122 in the context of disciple groups, and one of the most important things about discipleship, period, is living out three-dimensional relationships. So let me draw you up here, all right? This is you. You're here this morning. You've got a, we got a little surgery on the leg. We're fine. Everybody's good. Okay, this is you, okay? We, wanna, we want you to live out three-dimensional relationships. The thing we know about the Bible, it tells us is that we were created for community. The type of community we most normally find ourselves in is what I call affinity-based relationships, now, affinity-based relationships means that you are in the same life stage, the same expectations of life, oftentimes very uh, homogeneous uh, beliefs and uh, even just philosophies and doctrines. And, and we tend to find ourselves in affinity-based groups. Our culture naturally does this to us. If you're young, married with kids, you typically find yourself hanging out with other young, married, and kids. If you're getting to the age of retirement, you don't really hang out with the young marrieds anymore, mainly because um, you go to bed at seven, but that's just your deal. God bless you. If you're a teenager, you don't hang out with parents because well, we don't even have time to open that one up. But you know what I mean? Our culture kind of begins to put us into these affinity-based groups. We even do it in schools. Everybody's put into grades, and then grades are put into different schools. And so there's just, it's just natural in our culture to find ourselves hanging out with people who are like us. I'm going to tell you this. This is probably the most comfortable relationships you'll be in, right? Because it's just you've got enough in common that you don't really have to work at it sometimes. Here's the problem with these relationships. They're not whole. You're missing two other dimensions. Um, the Bible says that we should be, Titus says that older men should be mentoring and living life with younger men. And older, I'm sorry, not older women. We don't have those. More mature women should be living life with more mature women. 
And so when we talk about three-dimensional relationships, here's what the Bible says, that there should be influence on you and you should be influential. This is community. This is gospel-centered, gospel-driven community. The gospel is for the whole. Now let me, let me walk this out for you in a little bit of text. Uh, Proverbs chapter 13 says this, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffer harm. Here's what it's saying. Um, there are people in your life who have more wisdom than you, and if you live life with those who have more wisdom than you, then you gain wisdom. But if you hang out with people who are, who are knuckleheads like you, this is Ryan's translation, um, you will just gain in knuckleheadedness, right? And here's the problem with affinity-only based relationships. Who's the expert? I was, in a, I was in a small group, and I had a four-month-old baby. Emery was four months old, and we had a parenting question. I was the expert. I had the four-month-old. What do you do in that moment? Well, let me just share with you some of the concrete evidence we have after four months, all right? If you change the diapers, they stop crying. That's all I could offer. I didn't know what else to go with. And what happens is, is when we don't have someone to pour wisdom into us, we just tend to kind of live in this cul-de-sac of what I call stupidity, where we just find other people who are just like us in the same life stage and go, what would you do? And what happens is, is you just, it's foolishness, Right? And so there, the biblical relationship says we should have someone who is influencing us with wisdom. Three years ago, a man named Rusty Pritchett, I went to him. He loves his wife. He's actually one of our elders here at the church. We, we didn't even know we were launching a church at this point. But I went to him and said, you love your wife. You work hard. You honor Jesus. You love your kids. Your kids and your wife love you. Um, you seem to have more wisdom than I do. Can I just buy you coffee every Friday and will you just talk? Like, I'll just talk. I don't know. I don't, he was, what do, you, what do you want to talk about? I don't care. Just talk. Just say stuff, then I'll repeat it later and pretend like it was me. And, and so, um, and I asked Rusty, here's what happened. First Corinthians 11 says this, be imitators of me as I am as Christ. So here's what happened in my life. Rusty Pritchett just imitated Jesus. The way he treated his wife, the way he treated his kids, the way he treated his job, the way he treated the church. And I just saw him love Jesus. And, and there are times where I just imitate it. I just go, I don't know what to do, but Rusty does, so I'm going to do what Rusty does. And then as I've imitated Rusty and his godliness and his love for Jesus, I've realized it's fueled my ability to influence younger men who need to learn to love Jesus. This is community. When you just live in affinity, you miss it. You miss it. Gospel-driven relationships live beyond affinity. They live into community. We need the whole perspective of the gospel. Because here's what's true. Jesus does not change. So when this person and this person and this person and this person all describe Jesus, you, get, you tend to get four different explanations. What is true about Jesus is the th- saying that is true in all four. And so you get someone with wisdom sharing with you. You're sharing with someone who's not quite at, on, on the same level you are. And then you start living life with people. And what comes more true and true and true is a total understanding of who Jesus is. And that's what we need. Right? Now, we do our groups here based off of zip codes. So that the 32250 men can get together and live life together. And there's older men and younger men. And there's people on the same level. And, and we do zip code based Groups. Now, I'll admit there's some, there's some tension here, okay? There is going to become a point where, we're the, you know, the 32246 women's group or, or maybe even the 32, you know, whatever uh, mixed group is going to have in it a soccer mom. 
And I'm talking about the soccer mom. She drives a minivan. Some of you are like, I think he's talking about me. Okay, I'm not trying to pick on you, but I'm about to. Um, the minivan driving soccer mom, when you get behind her in traffic, she's got the stickers, right? And there's like, there's like, mom, there's like daddy's sticker, and he looks like Darth Vader, and that's real weird. And then there's mama's sticker, and then everybody got to go to the store and pick out their favorite sticker. And, and I'm thinking, well, how do you have that many people in that car? It's only eight seats, and there's, there's 87 stickers on the back. And then I realized half the stickers are animals. So do you own a farm? Like, what is going on here? I can't figure out. And, and what, anyway, so, you know, you get behind. So soccer mom is going to be in the same group at some point in the same community as former stripper. And former stripper is going to bring to the group all the history and spiritual maturity she has. And soccer mom's going to bring all the history and spiritual maturity she has. And there's going to be a point when it's, hey, share what you're struggling with, where strippers, former strippers got some heavy stuff. And soccer mom goes, I tell you what, I had the kids. We were on the way to soccer practice. And we were listening to, to 88.1. We are listening to Jesus, you know, Chris Tomlin. It was Jesus music. That's all we listen to is Jesus music. God bless you. I don't, but that's God bless you. Um, you know, I, I think country music is close enough. And so uh, soccer mom's just like driving, and she's just, oh, everything's good. And we're listening. And, I, and she's going to go. And then a car drove out in front of us, and I, I, I almost honked the horn, and I just said, shoot. And the weight of the cross of Calvary was on my back. And former stripper's going to go, what? What? There's going to be this moment, and here's what we need. We need to know that the gospel saves the religious and the rebel, and that Jesus is the same for all of us, and Jesus' patience with us should be a model for us to live in this community, even when it's uncomfortable. The second tension is that there is going to be friction and heat and chipping. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. When you sharpen iron, there is chipping and heat and friction. And when you put people in the, in the community and you go run after the gospel and people are coming from all different directions running after Jesus, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be clunky. There's going to be people running into each other. There's going to be chipping away of, of, of what does not match the gospel. Now, we have open groups so that we can allow this to happen. Um, we do not have open groups so the moment it gets uncomfortable, you can break up and go to the next one. So we've been in groups for like three and a half months here, and we've got some speed daters in our midst. That just, they've been in five groups in three and a half months, and, and maybe, I just, maybe you could just, the common denominator is you. And so this is not for speed dating. This is the truth. It's going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be friction, but it is for our good that the gospel, that iron would sharpen iron, and that we would look more and more like Jesus even in uncomfort. Second thing is this, we're going to teach sound biblical doctrine. We're going to teach sound biblical doctrine. Now, I know that some of you in this moment are a little fearful, right? Because you think that the pastoral staff is going to come by and go, if everybody will turn in your book to, uh, to page uh, 617, we're going to talk about the source of sin, okay? Um, here's the deal. This is not what we're talking about when we talk about teach sound biblical doctrine. I'm not talking about every theology book that I own. I'm talking about teaching sound doctrine, that we would understand the word. I, I don't really care if you understand, you know, all the big words, harmatology and soteriology. I don't care if you know those at all. I want you to know the big truths. Now, let me hide these so that you'll pay attention. Some of you are scared. I'm going to pull them back out. They're over. 
You're like, it's, it's Sunday, Ryan. School's getting out. I ain't going to learn. All right, here you go. I don't care as much about you knowing all the big words. I want you to know the big truth. You don't have to know the word harmonyology, but you need to know that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And, and the goal for us is not to do this. The goal is not to pump more information into your brain. Our goal is to build a solid biblical foundation for you to live life from. Paul tells Timothy, he says it this way. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will also be able to teach. So Paul tells Timothy, here's the model of teaching sound doctrine. You hear it, you engage it, and you expect the gospel to, to have some, some fruit. And then you hear it, and then you teach it, and then you hope somebody else will hear it and teach it. And when we talk about teaching sound biblical doctrine, what we're saying is this, is yes, you need healthy gospel-centered relationships where somebody's influencing you, where you're influencing others, where there's sharpening and peer-to-peer relationships. But that without good, solid, biblical understanding, biblical worldview could just be the sharing of opinions, right? Oprah got her own network, right? You could just walk that, watch that and talk about that. But until you pair that with biblical teaching, the influence may not be helpful. So what we're saying is let's spend our time in these discipleship relationships. Let's hear the gospel. Let's engage the gospel. And then let's expect that the gospel will continue to do its work. Jesus said it like this in the passage we just read, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. The disciple group at the Church 1122 is going to be the echo of the weekly sermon. So every week we put together, we have a team of curriculum writers who six weeks out before a series starts, starts dreaming and brainstorming and writing curriculum. And every week we're going to teach from the stage and then that following week in disciple groups, we're going to dialogue and discuss the message. Now if this became a dialogue right here, A, we can't really handle it, and B, the people who typically would want to dialogue in a group of a thousand plus, the rest of us don't want to do a dialogue, right? It get a little weird in here, right? You know what I'm talking about? So we are going to write curriculum that is the echo of the weekly message and put it in groups so that we can dialogue about the Bible. Now we're not always just going to study the same exact verses, so we may teach Acts chapter 14 on the weekend, and then we're going to let the Bible be the commentary on the Bible And during group, we may teach from Hebrews, we may teach from the Old Testament, but over and over again, what we're going to do on the weekend is preach the gospel, preach the Bible, and in disciple groups, we're going to talk about the Bible. Everybody's opinions are very, very important. We love your opinions, but truth is more important than your opinion. And so we're going to spend our time studying the Bible. The third thing is this, we're going to care for the needs of, of our community. The third thing that discipleship relationships are about, that groups are about, is that we're going to care for the needs of our community. Let me draw you another picture. Um, This one uh, is going to be a picture of what is the typical um, expected model of care, right? The normal model of care for a church that most people expect is that the pastors do all the work caring for the people. Now, let me draw a picture. Here's me, all right? And then, um, I know I'm not that skinny, but I don't have a big enough marker to draw me, okay? Uh, here's Pastor Joby. I'm going to give him some muscles, right, because he works out. He lifts weights. I'm the taller one. 
Don't forget that. Um, and then here's Pastor Ben, and Pastor Ben has got great hair, so let me give him some great hair. Give him a surfboard, give him a guitar or banjo, whatever one that one was. All right, so there's the three. That's our pastoral staff here at the Church 1122. As you can tell, um, I am not in any part of the creative arts team, okay? Here's, here's, the, here's our body. Now, we know this. We, let's just say we average 3,500 because I'm going to do math and I need it to be easy. We average about 3,600. We'll drop it down to 3,500. The statistics show us and tell us that the average churchgoer only goes about twice a month. So I need to say two things. One, we're going to change that statistic. Our people are going to be active, and we're going to change the national statistic of attendance and being part of the community. But with that statistic, it says that we, have, we can expect there's about 7,000 people who call this place their church. 3,500 a weekend, you go twice a month. 7,000 people. Now, if we go with the normal, the expected, I don't even know if normal is the right word, the expected uh, care, that gives us pastors about 2,300 people to intimately know and care for, okay? That's not really super possible. Here's what we did. We know we love you guys, so we added a chaplain because we want to be there during times of crisis, and we don't ever want a limited number of staff to, to hold us back. And so this is just Chaplain Chris. If you were here on Cinco de Mayo, you know he wore a sombrero and grew his mustache out, so I'm going to draw on that. He also does our announcements, so I'm going to give him a microphone. All right, so let's say the four of us. So now we're at 1750, still not really uh, doable. So God added to our people, he added to our leadership team, elders and deacons, and we have a great staff, right? So let's say this. Let's say that this group together is going to do all the care of the church. That still puts it about 250. Can I just tell you, you don't have 250 friends. All right, look to your neighbor real quick and go, you don't have 250 friends. I don't care what Facebook tells you, okay? You, it's just impossible, yeah, right? Facebook is lying to you. They're not friends. They don't even, they don't even know your middle name, okay? It's impossible to take care of that many people. So here's what happens. And, and in Acts chapter 4. See, I knew we'd end up back in Acts. Now the full member of those who believed were in one heart and soul. And no, no one said that any of these things that belonged to him were his own. But they had everything in common. And, eat, and with great power the apostles were giving the testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them. There was not a needy person among them. Here is our hope. Here is our desire that the disciple group, that the disciple group would be the front line of care for this church. That we would take these 7,000 people and put them in disciple groups with 10 to 15 people in the group. Now, you can intimately know and care for 10 to 15 people. You can do it very, very well. Here's my hope. I, we're not here to build a large crowd. We're here to build large community. And there is a good number of people, and, and this is just part of our culture as America, who participate in the weekend worship event, but never join the community. And if you don't join the community, and you begin to kind of bicker about not being cared for, you're missing what we're doing and why we're doing it. So I'm, I'm encouraging you on why we do groups the way we do it, so that you can go from, I'm going to participate in the weekend event to I'm going to engage in community. The, the disciple group is the front line of care. Now, this is not us as staff abdicating our responsibility. Actually, it's obedience for us. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, 
And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. What God did in his infinite wisdom would go, this could never take care of this. So in God's wisdom, he said, these men, these staff, these elders are in charge of equipping our body so that we would do the work of the Lord, that we would take care of each other. I got a phone call from one of our disciple group leaders um, two weeks ago now, and he said, hey, uh, Ryan, uh, somebody in our disciple group is going in for a medical procedure. Can you come and pray for him? And I said, man, I really wish I could. I'm actually going to be at someone else's medical procedure praying for them. Um, just you go ahead and are you going? Yeah, yeah, I'll go. Okay, so he called call me back that afternoon. So he calls me back. That afternoon, I said, how'd it go? He's like, it went great. I took my serve staff badge. I parked in the clergy spot because I thought my badge, I thought it was fine. I was like, okay, I mean, well, fine. So he gets out of the car. He's parked in the clergy spot. He walks in. He goes, I'm here with the church, 1122, wherever I go. They send him up. He prays for the guy. It's great. And then I go, well, let me text the guy and tell him that the church is praying for him, that we love him. I text the guy and go, hey, do you need anything from the church? you need anything from me? And and the guy's response, just had a medical procedure, the guy's response was, no, I don't need anything from you. My disciple group is taking care of me. That's empowerment. I can't, we can't be there, but gosh, we love our people enough to take care of them. That's why we do group the way we do it. Intimacy and trust are built in the reality of life, not just in the facade of participation. So it's in the heartbeat of life that intimacy and trust are built. The fourth thing is this. The fourth thing, we're about living out uh, relationships. We're about teaching sound biblical doctrine. We're about caring for the community, that our groups are the front line of care. And the fourth thing we're about is this, reproducing to avoid saturation. Um, There's really two um, growth patterns that we find in our houses that's true about groups too. Um, One goal is to grow old together. One goal is to grow up together. Marriage, the goal is to grow old together. The goal for me and my wife is to go grow old as we can grow together. Nobody else, okay? We're not, nobody gets into this marriage. It's me and Blair. I, nobody else is allowed in, right? So we want to grow old together. The goal for your children is that they would grow up together, all right? There's a few of you moms who are a little cuckoo and you want your family to live in your house forever. That's called crazy. And, 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 but the goal for the, for, the, for the non-cuckoo mom and the non-cuckoo parents is our kid would grow up, get a job, and leave one day, right? And some of you young men in here, it's that, it's time, right? Tell your mom on the way home, all right, I know, I know I'm 27 and I'm still living at home and I'm playing a lot of video games, but t- tomorrow or Tuesday, because tomorrow's a holiday, I'm going to take my first day off. Tuesday, I'm going to go get a job, Right? <clears throat> The same is true with groups. The same is true with disciple groups. If your goal is to grow old together, then it's this. We're in it. We're in it for life, and we're never, ever going to multiply. If your goal is to grow up together, to grow to maturity, to reproduce, to grow more groups, it looks like this. Now, growth spurt one looks the same. Second spurt of growth, we have to, the church has to work really hard to add another group. Down here, if the goal is to grow up together, the group trains up an apprentice. The group trains up a leader and then sends that leader on, sends that leader off to start new groups. So we go to the third one. It happens again. Boom. Happens again here. Ten. 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 
Now, here, here's what I need you to know. I don't think these relationships have to end. It's not like this, oh, we're not in group anymore, or we've launched you to another group. Sorry, we can no longer hang out. Quit tweeting me, right? It's not that, right? It's not we can no longer be friends. It's this. In this model, we don't open up enough room for people who need to be in biblical community, right? Let's say it goes to four, four growth spurts. At here, you've got enough room for 40, and down here, you've got enough room for 150, 150 people. Here's where I was, I, I understand we got in a group, we've bonded, now what do we do? You reproduce because there's more people who need that relationship, who need that community. And I always just ask it this way, which one of the loved ones you're praying for do you want us to not have room for? Is it your wife? Is it your husband? Is it your mom? Is it your dad? Is it your children that you're praying? Dear Lord, would they please come back to Jesus? What, how, do you want us to be the church that goes, hey, we're glad you're back. We don't have room. Or, hey, come on, we're open groups. We're training up apprentices. I'm just going to tell you, some of you in this room who aren't even in groups yet will be leading groups in the next 16 months. You're going to get in one. You're going to fall in love with the group. And you're going to go, hey, I want to lead because I want to make more room for more people to come into this community. We, are, we just can't be the church that says we're out of room. We don't have any more space for more people to be in community. You know where we do our groups at? Wherever you want, right? There are enough Chick-fil-A's in this country to do disciple groups, right? That's why we don't do them on campus. We don't have room on campus, so get them off campus. Let them multiply. Let them reproduce. We do this over and over again. The root of discipleship is multiplication, And when we have open groups that anybody can get in any time of the day, and we're raising up new leaders every day, every month, we're getting ready to start launching our first wave of new groups. We've been open for three months, and we have leaders going, I'm ready to lead my own group. We're multiplying. And every day we're going, hey, take the gospel, take it back to work, take it back to school. It it cannot stay here. The gospel is moving, and so we're going to be the people We're going to be the groups. We're going to be the community that just gets on board with the gospel moving. Now, here's our goal. I love this. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes to the church of Rome. He kind of outlines, here's what beautiful gospel-driven relationships look like. Here's what beautiful relationships that in every part of the community, the truth of the gospel, that we're victorious, that we have overcome sin, it's just real in every part. And Paul writes this letter to Rome, and he says this, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. If if you got a brother, you know that means sometimes I'm going to wrestle with you, and I'm going to dominate you, and sometimes I'm going to fight alongside you against the world. It's the same thing's true in, in, in relationships. This is why Paul told the church in Ephesus, don't let the sun go down on your anger. It, it is okay. It's like even, um, I would even encourage it sometimes to have some uh, heated or uh, well-documented debates, like to have some, some passionate conversation, because what happens in that, in that brotherly kind of uh, uh, affliction is that we understand more and more who Jesus is if we walk into it humbly. It says, let love one another with, brother, with brotherly affection. Uh, outdo one another with showing honor. He says, hey, try to outdo. It's kind of that moment where you walk up to like, you know, the, the grocery store and it's you and another, another man and you, you both get the door at the same time. After you, sir. No, after you. You know, the double door, you get it open after you. You know, age before beauty. Are you saying I'm ugly? No, no sir, but 
but what, do, you want, do you want to go in at the same time? It's that moment where you're, I'm going to try to serve you and you serve me. And what if we were the church? What if, what if when you came in here, people were like, man, that church 1122, they're just always trying to out-honor each other. That's my prayer for us. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's why we have the needs board out in our lobby so that our people can take care of the needs of each other. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I love this picture that Paul paints here. He goes, man, wouldn't it be great? And this is what God's call for our community is. This is what God's vision for us is, is that we would have genuine love, that we'd be authentic, that we'd hate what is evil and we'd cling to what is good, that we would take care and love each other like family, that we, would out, we wouldn't just be participants on a weekend, but we would be in family, in relationships. We, we say all the time we're a big, dysfunctional family, and we are, but you've got to engage. You've got to be a part of the family, that we would take care of each other. We'd always be trying, hey, you can serve me, but only because I'm going to out-serve you. I'm going to, you serve me, and you can open the door, but next time I'm going to open the door and roll red carpet out. You're not going to be able to top me serving you. And I love this picture. But here's, here's the big idea. Gospel-centered community is not a dream to hope for. So when we read through Romans chapter 12, we don't read through that and go, oh, wouldn't that be lovely? Wouldn't that, man, that sounds magical, like utopia. All right, Biblical, gospel-centered community is not a utopia that we wish would exist. It's a promise from our Lord and Savior. It's an opportunity that demands that we invest in it, that we engage in it. In it. Can I just tell you this? It's not easy, but it's worth it. Gospel centered community is not easy. Totally worth it. I'll just be honest with you. It's easy to show up and participate on the weekend and just show up, get a great parking spot, get to your seat, head home, pretend like you, you know, just do your thing for the rest of the week. But to engage in family like community is going gonna, is gonna to require some stuff. Of us, The first thing, it's going to take six things, and this is just encouragement. I'm not preaching at you, I'm just encouraging you. I want to encourage you from someone who's walked through it and learned some things. I want to encourage you on how to invest in this community. Number one, it's going to take commitment. It's going to take commitment. Uh, before the church 1122, I, I was on staff at another church, and I, um, the church I started my ministry at, on staff at, I, I got there, me and my wife got there, we signed up. For a small group. We'll sign up. And then guess what they told me? There's none. And I was like, well, what's going on here? Like, like, I'm a, like I can contribute to a small group. I'm a pastor. People love me. I'm really nice, right? People like to hug me. I'm a huggable guy, right? I'm a, people love me. I'm funny. And for an hour, I don't even get to the annoying part. Like, I get annoying about an hour and 15 minutes into, but small groups are only an hour. You can handle me. And you can't. And for me and my wife, we had to go, okay, well, we're just going to keep fighting. We're just going to keep going, and we're going to commit. We're going to start a group. We're going to get in a group. Here, that's not a problem. Groups are open. Come on, right? 
Um, Wednesday afternoon, I got a text from one of, our, one of our good friends that said, hey, would you and your wife like to come over, uh, hang out, do some dinner, or hang out, come out early afternoon? Well, it was 2 o'clock. I didn't get the message till 4.30. I was in a meeting, which tells you how much I was paying attention, um, on my text, getting the text, and I text my wife, and we go, hey, what do, you, what do you think, Blair? Should we go over early afternoon? It's already 5 o'clock now. What do you think? She goes, well, the laundry's not folded. To which I go, the laundry's never folded. Like, it's one of those chores that doesn't have any, like, you, as soon as I finish cutting my grass, like, I cut the front yard and the backyard, and when I'm done with the backyard, the front yard needs cut again. It's the same thing with laundry. You can't ever finish a chore. Our girls needed to be fed and put down. It had been a long week. And at 6 o'clock, we just said, you know what, we're going to go. We're just going to go pack the kids up, forget the laundry, and we're just going to go. We'll go for an hour and we'll just kind of go over and hang out. Well, I'm looking at my watch Wednesday night. It's like 10.30. My daughter, Emery, is falling asleep on the couch. She's hanging off. She's gone. Like, she, one, one, you know, the air conditioner comes on, and the wind blows, and she's rolling through the house. She's that out, right? It's, it's crazy. And at 10.30, I go, man, wasn't it good that we just committed to just spend some time here? It, it's going to take some commitment for, for groups. The second thing it's going to take is time. You have to think months, not minutes. There's something about us that's so driven by instant gratification. We think, I'm going to sign up for for disciple group. I'm going to go to two meetings, and I'm going to have just lifelong friends. And we're, we're going to be so intimate with each other in two meetings. It's going to take months. It's going to take events. It's going to take circumstances. It's going to take time to develop this kind of community. Third thing is this. It's going to take some failures. All right, um, I am honestly, I'm a professional Christian. I have broken up or been, been broken up by more groups than I was girlfriends, right? Uh, Blair was the third girl I ever dated. And I said, sign, seal, delivered, done. Lock this one up, right? My wife, and she's beautiful. I, don't, I got her to the altar. I knew she believed in covenant marriage. So I know as long as I can get her to the I do's, She's in it for life, right? And then I'll tell her that I'm going to be a poor pastor. And well, I'm just kidding. She knew, right? Third, t- third, third woman I dated, we're married, right? I have been left by more disciple groups than I have girlfriends. We literally, one time, Blair and I started a group. We had homemade fresh cookies and a pot of coffee ready to go. We invited the 10 people from the church that said they wanted to be in a small group together. We get ready to go. Coffee's fresh. Cookies are ready to go. 7.30. Group starts at 7. Nobody shows up. And I think, well, get in the car. We're going to Outback. At least there, you know, right? I'm just telling you this to tell you, you may have some failures. It's okay. It's okay. Keep, keep digging. Number four is this, crisis. Crisis. I'll tell you the times in my life where, group, where, where relationships and community have become the most real. On the mission field and in a crisis. You know why? Because there's a goal to rally around. So you either need to have a crisis in your group or you need to find one. Right? Shortly after uh, Emery was born, Blair got a, a weird infection and we spent 48 hours in the hospital just pumping her full of drugs, trying to get the infection out. And in that moment, our group, just our, our community just kept showing up, right? And everybody brought Chick-fil-A, which I didn't know what they were saying about me and my eating habits. But every 45 minutes, Chick-fil-A would show up. And if there's not a crisis in your group, then there are tons of crises in our city. Go find one. Get in a group and go find a crisis and rally around it. The fifth one is this, vulnerability. I call it the second time around the circle. 
You know what I'm talking about when you, when you get to the end of disciple group, you get to the end of a group, and it's, hey, what, what are you struggling with? And, and it, you know, it goes to you, and you're like, well, I'm just really too good looking, and I work too hard. And, and people like me so much. I mean, people just really like me, and I'm struggling with that. And then you've got to get all the way around, and then you've got to start the second time, and someone has to get vulnerable and go, it's not that I work too hard. That's not the crisis. That's not what it is. Here's what it is. I've made work an idol, and I'm sacrificing my family. And you've got to get, here's what I need you to hear, though. You may be the only person in your group that's ready to turn the corner and take it there. But you won't be the only one who will go there. So take them with you. Sixth thing is this, intentionality. Groups won't just happen, right? What will just naturally happen is affinity groups, and you're just going to get together with four or five people you really like, and you're just going to do life together, and you're just going to participate in things. You're never going to engage community. It's going to take intentionality. So here's your action steps. Number one, if you're not in a group, I want you to, I want you to go to coe22.com backslash disciple groups, and it's time to go from participation in the event to engaging community. If you're in a group, I, I, my prayer for you is you'll just kind of go through what we talked about this morning, and it'll be an opportunity for you to re-engage and reinvest your heart. Now, here's how we're going to close today. Um, I'm going to ask, if you're a disciple group leader, if you're a teacher or a care leader or an apprentice, would you just stand up real quick, just pop up to your feet? If you're a disciple group leader, if you're leading a disciple group at our church, pop up, pop up, pop up. If you're one of those people leading a disciple group, what I need you to do right now is just go to, the, go to whatever corner is closest to you. Just, there's four corners, right? Play four corners. Just go ahead and go there. The rest of us, here's how we're going to end today. I'm sending these guys to the corners. If you have a question about groups, I'm going to pray for us in a second. And if you have a question about groups, when I say amen, you're going to have a great opportunity to go talk to disciple group leaders and go, hey, tell me about groups, help me figure out how to get in one, etc. Okay? They're going to help you with that. Um, the other thing that all of us are going to do, and it's going to be a little awkward, but we'll, we'll enjoy it, and it'll be an opportunity to, uh, to be intentional about community. I'm going to pray for us, and when I say amen, you're going to find someone sitting around you that you don't know. You're going to introduce yourself and go, hey, what landed on you today, and are you in a group? That's all you got to do. Right, if you're an introvert, it'll take seven seconds, and you'll be out, and you can hide in your car. If you're, if you're an extrovert, right, and you get stuck with one of those extroverts that won't be quiet, we'll come and save you in, in about five minutes. We'll just... We'll pretend like there's a crisis and we'll go fix it, okay? So stand up with me. I'm going to pray when I say amen. Grab a neighbor. What landed on you? Are you in a group? And then you have plenty of opportunities to ask questions about disciple groups. And I can't wait to see you next week. Pastor Joe will be back. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And God, thank you that you first loved us. God, I pray that as we read Romans 12 about community, about it being a place of genuine love, about it being a place of outdoing each other in honor. May we be that place. May we be that church. May we be that community. And God, this weekend as we celebrate um, what was given to us by the sacrifice of others, the freedom we have, God, may we honor you with it and may we glorify you with it. And God, thank you so much that you built us to live out uh, gospel-centered relationships. It's in your name we pray. Amen. One